Hello, and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Jaden Cox. Jaden is an Olympic bronze medalist and current world champion in wrestling. He is set to compete at Olympic trials later this week for his chance to represent Team USA in Tokyo this summer. Welcome, Jaden. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I want to jump straight into it and set the stage. You're known as a world champion freestyle wrestler, the Olympic bronze medalist in Rio 2016, and you're currently the world champ at 92 kilograms and looking for gold in Tokyo in 2021. But what I think is so interesting and also quite confusing for someone that's not up to speed in the world of wrestling is that 92 kilograms is not actually a weight class at the Olympic level. So you're forced to make this big decision of which weight class to compete in. Why is it not a weight class? Well, I think that's something to ask the Olympic committee, but uh, (laughs) it's just so uh, when the world's happened, there are 10 weight classes and uh, I fill the 92 spot. Um, And then when the Olympics come, it's like they cut it down from 10 to six. which I'm both like for and against. Obviously, I'm against it because I want everyone to be, you know, have more chances and everyone to, you know, be at the Olympics. But also at the same time, it just makes it that much more special. Um, it brings that much more meaning to to what the Olympics are. Uh, so that's just the case, and uh, I'm having the battle back for my spot once again. And you won your bronze medal, I believe, at a lower weight class, and you've made a somewhat controversial decision to compete in a higher weight class, which is something that I take it is not typically done in the world of wrestling. Can you tell me a little bit about that decision and how you made it? Well, I was I was smaller. <laughs> Back in 2016, I was a smaller person. So I wrestled at 86. Um, 97 for me, you know, the original plan actually after the 2019 Worlds um, was to go back down to 86 kilos. And I was doing fairly well. You know, I walked around about 200 pounds. And for those who don't know, 86 kilos is about 189 pounds. Um, And so I was, uh, you know, feeling good walking around about 200, you know, would touch, you know, 195, 197. Um, I would hang around there sometimes. But then as uh, I remember I had a meeting with my coach, with Coach Jackson and um, some others. And I was really asking myself the question, you know, as far as like, what, what am I doing this for? Why do I compete? Why do I go through this grind and, and it's to be the best that I can be to put my best foot forward and to see how far I can go. And uh, with that being the case and my competitors at that weight, that being, you know, Kyle Snyder, um, who's the youngest Olympic champion that we have in the history of the US of A. And then you got the pound for pound greatest wrestler in the world, that being Sajulaya from Russia. You know, it's not often that every day you get to put your your very best up against the best. I mean, think about countless people do sports, do whatever they do in their livelihood, and they don't get to do it to on the, the maximum platform against those who actually, you know, are at such a level that they could never imagine. And so for me to have the opportunity, why not take it? And if my goal is truly to be the best, then, you know, the same old saying goes, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So I chose to go up to 97. And uh, this is what I'm, I'm looking to do, and I'm looking to accomplish the goals because I have more to prove to myself. That's so admirable. I think so many people are just trying to get to the games and not necessarily challenge themselves, but to try to to win and, and measuring success in 
maybe more material, conventional measurements. So I really admire what you're doing. And you, you mentioned your teammate and another competitor, Kyle Snyder, who I believe you've trained with and competed with over the years. And something the audience may not know is that you're both world champions going into this, and one of you will take that Team USA spot to go on to compete in Tokyo. And I'm just trying to think about this in my mind and a parallel in figure skating when I competed. And we had a strong U.S. team, and so we always sent three ladies to the Olympic Games, and I can't even imagine two world champions trying to compete for one spot. And it, it's so admirable what you're doing. And I was wondering if you could just talk me through a little bit of how you're thinking of that moment, of that match. If you want my honesty, it's just another match. You know, uh, the, the, the intensity and the, the weight of the match is not meant to be on my shoulders. That's for the fans and the people who are going to watch. That's why they tune in. That's why they're, they're coming to, to see it. For me, it's just, it's another six minutes. That's all that I'm focused on. I'm focused on getting it and getting in and getting the job done and and, and doing what I have to do to win. Um, like I said, you know, everything else about it is up for, you know, the people who get to watch it. But it's my job to come out and get and get wins and to, and to uh, accomplish my, my, my goals. You know, I have a goal set in mind and that's my what I'm going there to do. Um, you know, if anything... Uh, I'm more so focused on, hey, I, first, I got to get to that match. You know, I still got two matches uh, prior to that one. So I still have a job to do. And then on top of that, after, you know, after I get done, done with that one, I have an even greater feat, which is something I've been looking forward to um, as far as wrestling, Kyle. Um, and also, uh, I have another job as far as making another Olympic team. So um, I'm all, I'm all in. Um, I'm looking forward to this. I've grinded. I've literally like the way I look at it is like I've for me the one thing I aim for in this match is to make everything that I've gone through for this whole year that we missed um, from last year not being able to go and accomplish our goals um, to now is making everything worth it. All the changes, all the all, you know, all the sacrifices. Um, all the adjustments, making everything that I've gone through, everything that I've done worth it in this moment right here, right now. Thank you for sharing that answer. I actually think that's probably a healthier perspective to not build up that match and put so much pressure on it, but treat it like a job to do and something that you've trained for. And there were some other things that you mentioned that I want to bring up later in this conversation. But first, I'm so curious about the mechanics of going up a weight class and there certainly is just what's obvious, right? You're adding pounds, but how does that change your training, your diet, the way your body moves? As, as athletes, we're such finely tuned machines. Everything that is done is done so specifically and intentionally. And I wonder how you feel in your body at this different weight class, how you move, if there's kind of anything that would be interesting to the outside observer that, that's going on. Well, uh, for me, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm known as a very active wrestler. You know, um, I'm moving my feet a lot. I'm very quick and agile um, and flexible. And so, for me, going up, I wanted to make sure that I was not uh, losing any of that. And so, and it was hard because I mean, at first, it was hard just putting on the weight because I mean, my body was so used to being down. You know, I'd come into some practice, I'd be two ten, and by the end of practice, I'd be back down to two hundred. And so. Like, it was hard to make it stick. Um, but as time went on, you know, I had Mason Walters, who was a great um, strength and conditioning coach. And um, 
you know, he just made the adjustments in my training to make sure that I could, you know, move just as well. I was moving not only with just as much speed, but also with just as much power, um, training me to be able and used to not only moving someone who else who was 97 kilos, but also being able to um, withstand somebody who is 97 kilos. So because I think there, that's a kind of double things. It's one thing to move somebody else. It's another thing to also to stop yourself from being moved from somebody else. And so that was a big thing as well. And, um, you know, he's done all these things. We've run our tests, um, you know, seeing the improvements day in and day out. And he understands the mechanics. And, and I and I have faith in what he's showing and what and he tries to explain it to me in, in English whenever he can. Um, but, you know, it's just been constantly grinding, you know. Yes, there's lifting. Yes, there's eating and, and dieting. And whatnot, but uh, the big part for me that I think that I had to focus on was making sure that as the wrestling happened, as the training happened on the mat, that I did not lose touch with how I wanted to wrestle just because there was a few extra pounds and it made it harder. And it took me to another level of conditioning because now instead of, you know, hauling around, you know, 86 kilos or 92 kilos, now I'm hauling around 97 and trying to move for six minutes and continue the same thing, if not do it better and more often. So uh, I think, you know, everyone's just done a great job as far as the people around me, my coaches, my training partners, um, keep me in the right mindset. Because there's sometimes I was just like, I don't I don't know if I'm sometimes I feel, like I feel slow. I feel this. And, um, you know, they were like, you know, like we're reassuring you like you're good. And they put me through tests to show me the, the, the results of you're moving faster and you're moving, you know, with even more power like you're good. And so I just had to get used to it. And going back to talking about this extra year that COVID has created and postponing the games, what has that year been like for you? I know it, every athlete has handled it differently, and depending on the sport, you're able to train or facilities have shut down. And for some people who are targeting towards peaking at a very specific time, it can be very difficult to adjust not only your physical training, but your mental training to kind of like, ah, oh, this is a whole nother year that I have to be in this. And I'd love to hear how that experience has been for you. Well, it was definitely very difficult, even though I had taken my stance as far as, you know, wanting, you know, to resolve COVID more so than competing in the Olympics. Um, it was definitely hard because it, it's your dream. You know, it's your dream. It's what you work for. It's what you grind for. I mean, on top of that, I was just coming off a, a second world title, you know, a second world championship. And, um, you know, I've, I put on a great performance and uh, and to not be able to continue and ride that wave into the next Olympic trials. Um, you know, it, it definitely sucked, but there were more important things. And um, I think as an athlete, um in this time, it made me really have to figure out, like, who are you going to be in this moment, like, as an athlete? Like, are you going to be someone who's just going to sit down on your couch and, you know, and chill out? Or are you going to prepare for what's to come? And so, you know, I chose to keep preparing and then keep grinding, finding ways to adjust with my training, training out in, in this field across from me, you know, in the park, you know, or in my garage. I've moved mats in my downstairs in my basement. Like, you know, I was finding ways to push myself and grind and still work. But there were other aspects of myself that, you know, grew as well, you know, because other people were looking and struggling with the same things. You know, they were looking for avenues of, of comfort or answers or, or for understanding, you know. So I was asked to speak to, um, you know, different universities, different um, sports groups um, about, you know, how to kind of work through this 
difficult time, especially with my, um, I, I've been very open about my, you know, uh, depression and, and, and things that I've dealt with in my past. And so, um, you know, there were times that, you know, I was seeing that it wasn't time for me to be an, an, an athlete to these people. It was time for me to be almost like, like, um, a mentor almost and seeing that there are people who are struggling with this, who have never struggled with this, who don't know where to turn, who don't know where to go. Um, and they need somebody to talk to or to, to help them understand that. And I think the biggest thing helped them understand that they're not alone. Um, that a lot of people feel this way and you shouldn't be ashamed to feel this way. And if you have something to talk about when you feel this, like talk about it, open up, because more than likely someone else feels it and they're just afraid to say it or they feel ashamed to say it. And, and that shouldn't be the case. And so getting to be a, a voice and an advocate for that um, through this time uh, was huge. And I think it, it, it helped me as well because, um, you know, it, it helped me not, like I said, find another avenue that needed to grow within myself, um, as well as almost like how I, I wrestle all the time. But like when I teach somebody something, I learn just as much from, from what I teach, when I teach it, than whenever I'm just drilling it. And I guess this was a case as well for me, whenever I was talking people through, you know, the things they were struggling with through this pandemic. I find it incredibly impressive that at a young age, while you're still competing in the midst of a global pandemic, that you're able to have that sense of perspective and to step a little bit outside that athlete identity and address these other parts of yourself and this recognition in humanity and other people that are also struggling at some level. And you mentioned your own struggles with depression and mental health. And I think it's such an important topic these days for everyone being isolated in a pandemic. It's been a very, very tough year. And it's also on top of that tough with the pressures of an Olympic Games coming up. And I would love to explore this topic a little bit more with you and ask you maybe the moment that you decided to make this struggle public. Yeah, I think there's a, a big internal process that has to happen to deal with it internally and then be ready to be vulnerable and to share and to feel maybe exposed in some sense. And I'd love to know when that moment was for you. Well, for me, that moment was in 2016. You know, I was making an Olympic team. And I remember I got a call from uh, Mark Bader from Flow Wrestling asking about if I had any, like they wanted to do a flow film on me and a story. And, you know, I, I had, you know, I've had a past, so, you know, of, of difficult struggles, of, of, of things that have happened in my life. Um, and so, and like how they've kind of haunted me to that point. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of was just kind of like, well, I had been talking with a therapist for a little bit and, um, you know, I I don't know if it was necessarily a moment of vulnerability, but I remember I wanted to make my story the weapon I, I, I used and not the one that attacked me. And so um, I wanted to utilize it. And so um, I, you know, I, I did this flow film and I kind of just spilled everything about, you know, struggles, things that I've gone through. Um, you know, things are very hard for people to, to talk about. And um, it wasn't necessarily, and honestly, in doing the film, it didn't really, uh, the film itself, as far as like, you know, talking about it and putting it out there, that didn't really help me realize what I had done for myself. It was when other people came and, you know, were just like, hey, I, I watched your film and it really, you know, it helped me. And to, to see you struggling with that, 
Um, or even people who hadn't been through that, but then realized, you know, I need to be more open and seeing um, the struggles that others maybe are going through. You know, stuff like that helped me to not necessarily heal me, but helped me realize that, you know, my my curse can be a blessing to others. And so um, I can use this. And that showed me that this, that, you know, the weapon that I, that maybe I was looking to forge had been, and I can utilize that. And so now, you know, I use it to, you know, to help others and to help people heal or, or to talk to them. And I think, like I said, the biggest thing is to, to help them know that they weren't alone. Cause I think once I realized that and people came to me and told me like, they're struggling with this too. Um, it made it feel like almost like I wasn't holding this burden all alone, you know? And so, um, if I can do that for someone else and help them realize that you're not alone in this, that you are cared for and loved for, um, and no matter what you go through, you know, you can make it through. And that, it kind of came up with this saying, like, uh, like um, the pain that is, is never as bad as the pain that could be. And so you should always push forward. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of try to take that in and give that perspective to others who maybe don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, you know, give that sometimes in some cases, sadly, give a um, permanent solution to temporary problems. And so um, I just definitely something I try to to fight against and to give people um, faith in something. I think that's so important. And I've, I've listened to some of your other podcast interviews and how you've spoken about the steps that you took and the tools that you have and that originally you struggled with perhaps a negative or more self-destructive path before you found really healthy ways to cope and Mm -hmm. the importance of music and writing. And I think I've also similarly found writing to be so incredibly important and transformative for these, this jumble of thoughts that's tangled in your head that you can struggle with emotionally until you kind of get it down on paper and you get this clarity. And I'd love to hear you maybe personalize how you write? Well, I write in the form of poetry. You know, I write, I write a lot of poems, um, you know, and it's really, and in some cases, it's not every time, but in some cases I'll just write how I'm feeling and what's going on in my head. Or I will just like journal um, because a lot of times, you know, when you try to keep it all in your head, you'll like be somewhere. And then all of a sudden you're, you're taken somewhere else. And it's hard to, you know, formulate, a, you know, a very specific thought of like, you know, okay, I can get through this. I can get through this whenever everything's still in your head. But I also think that writing's important is because uh, it's hard to lie to yourself in that. Like at first you'll start and it seems um, pointless or dumb, you know? But as you continue writing, like, like you can't lie to yourself. As you get every thought out each and every time, like, like the truth comes out of how you, either how you're feeling, what you want, um, you know, even it can even be good things like what you like, what you what you desire. Like it can it can be all those things. Um, and I think that writing really helps us to learn who we are. Um, whereas like you like it's like I don't want your I don't want your family's opinion. I don't want your parents' opinion. I don't want I want your friend's opinion. I don't want what you see on the news. I don't care. Like I want you to write down as you. What do you think? Formulate your own thoughts. And, you know, it's it, you're going to have to kind of go through the the dumb thoughts where it's just like, oh, this is stupid. This is this is ridiculous because I was the same way. I was like, this is this is this isn't going to work. But as it went on, um, it became more of something where it's like, man, this is my truth. Like this is 
this is this is this is this is real and this is what i tell all my friends like i tell my friends like write this stuff down write about it like and they'll look at me like i'm crazy i'm like i'm telling you write about it and like i've had friends come back to me and they're like in tears about what they've written you know they'll, they'll read it back or something like that and i'm like i'm like i'm telling you like when you have to put the truth down and you reread what you say you could even it'll make you question what you read you can be like i don't is that really what i think is that what i was that what i've believe and everything like you 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 can't hide it from yourself you know um and plus it's a good thing to healthy thing to revisit um and i think also encourage people not only to write when you feel sad but also write when you feel good you know because then you can revisit that like that like when you feel like oh i feel really down but then five days ago you were just the happiest person in the world realize it wasn't that long ago and that you can get back to that, you know, um, and the things that can you can formulate or figure out to do that. So I think it's very healthy. I like poetry. Um, I, that's my that's my form of writing. I, I don't know why, but like it it just it takes the whole I don't know. It takes every bit of emotion just to do it and then to reread it. Um, it's a lot, and then it helps me to you know remember I guess everything and. You know, I, I know what I was feeling when I'm like, whenever I, if I read it to somebody else, they probably don't have any idea what I'm saying. But I, I definitely know like how each word or each line has probably about a million thoughts behind it and what it really means. And a lot of things have double meaning. So I just I love it because it's not just for myself, my heart and everything, but it's also kind of an art. And uh, I really enjoy it. There's a beauty and a magic to poetry that somehow capture something in the semantics of words that I feel like is not not captured in normal prose. So I, I'm a, a big fan of, of poetry as well. I want to go back to, you mentioned struggling with things in your past and something that was certainly a formative challenge for you was when you lost partial hearing, I think at 18 in when you were beginning college and and. I'm not sure if people are fully aware, but a lot of your balance is connected to your hearing. And I know that as a wrestler, your balance is very, very important. And so there are multiple facets to this. Can you take me back to that moment? I believe you lost 35% of hearing in one ear before you even saw a doctor. You were dealing with dizzy spells, but we're actually continuing to wrestle. Uh, what what was that like when you first realized that this was happening to you and how did you move through it? I think it was a mixture of fear and anger, honestly. And um, especially like for me, like we've talked about this, but I love music. I remember not knowing, obviously, at first. You know, I remember going to, to a practice and uh, I ended up getting like kind of like a dizzy spell at practice. And, you know, I'm thinking like I'm just dehydrated or you know, uh, maybe just malnourished and, uh, everyone's on the same boat and I go home and then I come back and, uh, I'm practicing with my partner and I'm telling my partner, Hey, can you tell me what the coach is saying? Cause he's all the way across the room. And I'm like, I can't, I can't tell what he's t- trying to say. And, uh, and then, you know, getting concussion tests, they're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe it's a concussion thing. Not, not, it's not being the case. I remember getting sent to, um, the hospital, get my, was it a CAT scan? Cause they were thinking maybe there's a tumor behind my head and I'm like freaking out. Cause I'm like, what? Like, I, I, I can't have, I'm too young, you know, like, I'm like, there's so much I want to do. And thank goodness that's not the case. Um, and then I went to an ENT, where is, which is where I found that, you know, I had lost um, some decibels and hearing. 
Um, and as time continued on, I started losing more hearing as well. Um, and I remember just being very scared. Like I was very scared. Um, and I remember one day I was walking around campus and I was listening to everything that I could hear. You know, I was listening to the, um, to even construction. Construction is so annoying, but I was like, or even just like how, how, you know, like, you know, the trees would move with the wind and stuff like that. Like, it, it may sound cliche, but I really was. I'm like, could I, I couldn't figure out or imagine a world without sound. Now, blessing is that, you know, I still, I still can hear. Um, but, you know, and also, but at the same time, I had that fear. And then I got sent to um, take ASL classes um, at the University of Missouri. They, they put me in right away. And I have to say from that fear, uh, it put me in a place where I got involved in the world. I never probably would have, you know, gotten in touch with had this not happened. And I never would have had some of the friendships um, that I had had this not happen. And the people that I've gotten to meet and it, I don't know, it really, it helped grow, you know, me. Cause I got to involve myself with a whole nother culture that was just amazing and how strong and connected these people were. It was just, it was just awesome. And I've made friendships that are literally going to last me a lifetime. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's been an amazing ride. Um, I actually got to go to, I was in one of my friends that I've made in, in their wedding um, this summer. So I think like as much as, you know, things sucked at the moment, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't trade it because there's so many things that would not have been had this not happened. And I know that you are teaching sign language on your Instagram and it's become this larger mission, as you mentioned. And you recently debuted, I think, a custom shirt with Nike that includes your name spelled in sign language. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about, I know that you also are working in different out, outreach programs with signing and perhaps maybe what's most surprised you about the community or what you've learned most. The most surprising thing. Um, honestly, I'd probably say the most surprising thing for me was the acceptance. Um, you know, the, the willingness to, to help others to learn and to teach. Um, I think that was something that was a little bit, I was surprised by. Um, and I, I don't know why, but it just kind of caught me off guard. And I think it was more so probably because of nerves. Cause I remember the first time that I had signed with someone um, every first Wednesday, there are, um, the deaf community comes to uh, the Columbia, Missouri uh, mall. And so, and they like sit in the food court and you can come and sign and conversate with them. And uh, I remember that was my first experience. And I remember how like, I've competed in front of thousands of people. In some cases, possibly like hundreds of thousands, if not millions, but I've competed in front of a lot of people, both live and on television. I had never been more nervous than that moment right there. And so to, to, to have that experience and then have it really go really well to someone really like inviting you and telling like, like embracing you, wanting you to come and, and join, um, it, was, it was amazing. And so once that happened, I don't think I'd ever been nervous to, 
you know, go into one of those um, events or, or be embraced in that culture um, ever again. It was just so uplifting and, and, and heartwarming. And so I think that was probably what surprised me the most, just because of the, the butterflies beforehand. You may lose a bit of something, but gaining community, I think that's maybe one of the most valuable things that at a young age and as a solo athlete, perhaps I can speak personally on this, that we don't value enough. And I think the American motto is like, you can do it yourself. You can do it with hard work. It's up to you. And, you know, sports certainly puts that on your shoulder as well. And so I think anytime you can reach out and connect, find community, whether it's with the signing community or within mental health, just to know that you're not alone and it's okay to not be okay. I've I've found that community has been very transformative. Uh, So it's nice to hear you talk about that and how that experience shaped you. For sure. The greatest, oh, sorry, but I was just gonna say, but the greatest things that have ever happened in this country, you know, for the most part have happened with groups of people, a sense of community, a sense of togetherness, you know, um, singling out one or the other, do it yourself, like, do you got to be this and you got to be that. It, it's, it's true, but only to a point, you know, like it, it is, it is, there's, there's, there's truth in that individuality, you know, has to have a certain sort of strength, toughness, you know, outlook, you know, goal to reach. Right. But at the same time, like even with wrestling, wrestling, I am the only one you'll see on the, on the, on the mat. And when you reach the podium, I'm the only person that you will see on top. Right. But for me, you know, that there's that saying like, you know, it's lonely at the top. Like, no, it's not like my coaches, my family, you know, my nutritionist, my, my weightlifting coach, my partners, all of these people staying with me. The top may not be as populated as the bottom, but it is not, it's not lonely. And the only reason the top is amazing is because of everyone that's gotten you here. You know, it's because of everyone that's helped you accomplish your goal. So no matter what they see, no matter whether you see some one person up there or, or four or five, there are a ton of people that go into that. So everything that we really do, you know, for the most part is a, a you know, like you say, kind of like a community effort. It is a group of people. You know, the great things are not, you know, aren't really always done one on one. Typically, it is a, a group of people that it takes to accomplish amazing feats. Well, that's beautifully put. I want to circle back to something that reminded me of my own experience of how nervous you were when you first went to the mall and you were signing for, you know, maybe one of the first times or earlier on before you were comfortable. And I read about another experience where I believe you were, because you love music and you love to sing, and that I found really spectacular is sometimes you sing the national anthem before a meet and that you were more nervous singing in front of the the stadium than you were ever competing as a wrestler in front of thousands of people, millions of people on the Olympic stage. Mm. Can you, can you articulate why that is? Because you're singing the national anthem. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> like you can you can mess up any song you want to. You can sing the wrong words as much as you want. You do that to the national anthem. It's it's yeah, that's a no-go. You don't get you don't get a pass on that. So I think that's part of it. It's like always making sure is it is it gleaming or is it streaming first? Which one is it? Do I flip those? Like did Fair I point. Fair part? point. <laughs> but I think that's probably the biggest reason on the national anthem. In general, you know, I love to perform. Um, I love to be in front of people. And yes, I get jittery, you know, singing in front of people. <clears throat> um, 
from time to time, but uh, for the most part, uh, I can't see their faces. Um, I make sure not to wear my contacts on that day so that I literally can't see, can't see anybody because even though I know you're there, as long as I can't make, it's just awkward if they make that individual like eye contact, like I can't, I can't handle it. That that'll throw me off. So, but other than that, you know, it's it's good. It's just the national anthem. You got to get the words right. Definitely have to get that right. I think it's so interesting too, not having that mutual recognition right through eye contact. And I have found that even though I got very nervous when I competed, there was something about moving my body and getting into the music where it it made me feel better and more comfortable. But sometimes I find in speaking, uh, right, or the equivalent here is singing, that the voice does something else and the body is constricted. And so it's a completely different thing. And people are like, why are you so nervous when you're speaking? You performed (laughs) at the Olympics in front of so many people. And so I'm like, I'm still figuring that out. So I I just, when I read that, I, I felt this common bond with you. For sure, for sure. It, could, it It's different for everybody. Everybody's got a different little niche that like throws them off maybe a little bit. Um, and for me, it's just making sure the words are right to the national anthem. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's a big one. I want to go to your childhood and how you began uh, your wrestling career. And I read that wrestling did not come naturally to you, that you struggled a lot in the beginning and you pushed through these difficulties, but that you spent a lot of your early years getting beat up, but somehow you you really enjoyed it. And so I wanted to know what you loved about wrestling in the beginning and and how you made it to where you are today. Well, if I was getting beat up in my childhood, it was because of my brothers. And that was, that was all on them. They were the ones that probably beat me up more than anybody. Um, they account for probably most of my losses in my, in my youth. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I my I remember my first year. Yeah, I was getting whooped on a lot. But I I think for me, I think I just had great parents and family who didn't put so much on winning and losing. Um, it was just about having a great time, going out there and competing. Because for me, like I would mostly cry. Like I would cry afterwards. Um, but I wouldn't cry till like my mom would sit me down. Like so in 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 wrestling, you have double elimination. So you lose two matches, you're out. Um, and like, so I'd go back to my mom and I'd be like, all right, when do I get to wrestle again? She's like, you don't, you don't get to sweetheart. And then I would start crying. And so it would break my, <laughs> it would break my heart. And so I was just like, oh, why not? So I think it was more of like, I wanted to just compete. I just wasn't good enough. And then I found, you know, my mother says it like this. She basically found out that once he understood, like if he kept winning, he got to wrestle more. And so I kind of turned it around and, you know, I just, you know, Obviously, I still loved what I did. You know, that's why I was doing it. Um, and so I found that, hey, you win a couple matches, you get to wrestle a little bit more and you don't have to sit and just watch the tournament. Um, and so it was, it was really, it was really, I don't know, a funny time slash um, a chance to grow. Uh, and I think that for me, being able to do it this long, um, you know, it's kind of why like I'm, like, I don't know, I still have that joy from, from a kid because I, I, I just wanted to wrestle. It wasn't about the outcome, you know. And every time in my career that's become, become, become about the outcome, it's just, uh, I don't know, it, things just haven't gone, gone your way, gone my, gone my way. So it just doesn't work like that. I love that story. And just for context, how old was little Jaden that was upset that he <laughs> had to keep wrestling? I was, I was four and probably five, too, because I probably had a few more 
few more uh, matches I was losing when I was five as well. Um, and so, yeah, gosh, I've been wrestling for 22 years. Very, very, very little. That You must have been very cute. <laughs> I can kind of just picture that. <laughs> I want to ask you about self-acceptance. You've done, it seems like you've done so much self-work. And I think I read something that made me think, stop and think, which was the paradox of accepting yourself as enough in sports, because it seems like nothing is ever good enough in sports. You can always be better tomorrow. Your competition is always improving. Yet from a mental health perspective, you have to accept who you are and how you how you show up and and it seems like the way that you've talked about that you have this sense of comfort with who you are and you accept who you are and yet you're incredibly competitive you're incredibly driven you're at the top of your field and I I haven't found many athletes that are able to really have self-acceptance and to also be incredibly competitive and on top of their game well yeah I mean I I don't think of them as I don't think one should take away from the other, right? I think self-acceptance allows me to be more of a competitor and to be the best competitor that I can be. Because with self-acceptance is a lack of doubt. And, you know, like it takes, it's one less thing that I have to worry about. You know, when I go out there, I don't have to question what man or what person I'm going to be. I know when I go out there that what I'm willing to give and who I'm, who I'm looking and what I'm looking to achieve, you know? Um, and I think on top of that, it makes, it makes it so where I, the way I look at sports is like, it's also, it's not about the opponent, you know, they just so happened to be there. They got on the plane, they came here and they showed up, they got on the line, they, they were just there, right? The opponent that I face each and every day is the one I wake up to. It's the one I face in the mirror. You know, and I've talked to, and I've talked about that. I just make it about, make it about me. When I make it about me, it takes away everything else. Um, and so I think that, and knowing who I am, being comfortable in my own skin, it makes training better. Um, it makes it so even things like, you know, what we deem as sacrifices, you know, especially with, it makes it so like those things are, 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 aren't even like to that extreme. It's like, almost like, no, I, I, this is something I really want to do. Like I, I strive for this, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything that I do, I'm able to put all of myself into something, um, which is which is amazing. Um, and that's without having a, a, a nick or cranny or a fear about anything of, of who I am. Because anything that you're not able to put into something, well, then that's a space in the, or, or a limit or a, or a place you're not willing to go that maybe your opponent is. So it's very important for you to be able to, to figure out who you are, things in your life that, that you need to figure out. And what you want to show showcase in your life, and that's not as an athlete. That part of it doesn't have anything to do with you being an athlete. That's just you as a human being. That's just you as a person, you know. Um, and I think the first step is accepting that you are enough as a person, you know. And like it doesn't have to be anything more. Like you are enough, you know. You and I think people need to realize like how amazing you are just for being you. How rare and unique that you are. There is never going to be another man. I tell people this. I'm the best Jaden Cox there is ever going to be in this world. No one's going to out Jaden Cox me. Okay? I'm going to be the best. I was the best one when I was born. I was the best one five years ago. I'm the best one now. I wake up and I am the greatest thing this world has ever seen. I am the most unique thing this world has ever seen because there is never going to be anyone close to me. And that goes for everyone else. And like some people may look at that and be like, oh, that's a little cocky. Like, it's not cockiness. It's true. 
Unless someone can show me the history books of where there's been another Jaden Cox that's exactly like this, with this build, with this thought process, with these issues in this heart, with this, with the, you know, with the family that he has, with the connections that he tries to have, with the genuineness and everything. Unless someone else can show me that, then they are wrong. All right. And so with accepting everything that comes my way and who and who I am, I'm able to put everything I am into what I do as well. And some people aren't able, aren't allowed to do that. And honestly, it's not even like I, I see it as an advantage. I see it as almost like I'm sad for them, right? Because one day you're going to sit down and you're going to realize that you didn't give everything that you possibly could have. There was still a little bit left, you know? And so, like, I want, I want people to be able to open up and whatever you desire— you know, people who know who they are and know what they what know what 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 they have to offer, and that accept themselves for who they are, go far. They do, and they never stop. You know, they always fight and strive. Okay, and I think that's what makes it so. Like that's that competitive nature. That's just natural. Like that's that's that competitive nature. Whatever it is that I was putting myself towards, it didn't matter if it was wrestling. Didn't matter if it maybe it was school or something. Whatever, whatever it is, I would have decided to put myself towards. If I think if I would have gotten to this point, if everyone got to this point, they would strive to be as, the best that they possibly could. Because in that case, you have no choice but to put the be- all of yourself into whatever it is that you do and all that it is that you are. That's such an illuminating definition of self-acceptance. And I think it's actually really helpful for certain kind of type A people or people that don't quite maybe feel comfortable in their skin. And I, I think I personally can take a lot from that. So thank you for sharing that. And it it segues perfectly into some questions that I have on identity. And again, I think at such a young age while still competing, you, you seem to be able to navigate the separation between who you are, who Jaden Cox is, and and what you show up to do in the athletic arena. And you've said that athletes are a lot more than what they do and they have a lot more things that they contribute to. And I, I think that's so important to, to remember, especially while you're competing. And that made me want to ask you how you construct your, your own concept of identity and perhaps where that might lead for your life after wrestling. Well, I can tell you this. Where it might lead, I have no idea. You know, I've thought about a couple things. One thing that's really sticking out to me right now, um, and I've been open about telling people this, is uh, military, actually. I've thought about that because one thing that I've, I, I try to be, there's, well, I should say one thing, two things I try to be is giving and, and genuine. And in what way, and I was like, what's one thing, like, I, I've always thought about, like, what, how can I help the world? Like, what's the way I can give back? And, you know, I think, you know, being a part of the military is was, was a huge part of that. You know, you could you could definitely do that, like by giving to others, um, you know, like that's almost like the ultimate way of giving um, in some cases. But also, um, you know, I think being genuine is, is, is a big thing as well for me. But for me, I think that like I separate wrestling. I have this saying that if, I, if, I, if it's the day that I die, if everyone just remembers me as being a great wrestler, then I have failed. I have failed at life. Um, and you know, I didn't come into this world as a wrestler. I wasn't born a wrestler. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born or I wasn't even born. And they put like on my birth certificate going to be a wrestler. They didn't do that. You know, I was born as Jaden Michael Tabori Cox, born March 3rd, 1995. Okay. Makes me 26. I know I'm getting old. Don't bring it up. So a lot younger than I am. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) so, so. 
you know, like that's what I was born as. And so it's just like, whenever I, I take away as far as like being, being an athlete, like winning the medals and stuff is, is, is amazing. That's a great feat. That's a bonus. But my, my real, you know, my, my real desire as a person is who I want to be is like, I want to be, I want to be someone that's loving, genuine, that's honest, um, caring. And honestly, one that is not going to get, I don't know, that's a, I don't know, get caught up in the world of trying to fight somebody, but able to stand on each side of the bridge and, and look at someone else's viewpoint. Um, and I think that's kind of what, what I try to be and what I try to, uh, to showcase um, and how I carry myself um, because, you know, I want to I want to showcase what I hope the world to be. And so, you know, I think that I separate, you know, the wrestler and, and who I am as a person, you know, because I think the person is what allows the wrestler to flourish, you know, um, and I've seen it time and time again. You know, I've seen great athletes who weren't that great of people. And at some point they've tripped up, they've stumbled there. And it may not be in athletics. It will be in life. You know, it may be behind closed doors, but somewhere they're, they're, they're stumbling and they're fumbling, you know, whereas, for, you know, for me, like I, I don't I don't desire that, not because of the fear from what I've seen, but because of who I sincerely want to be and what I want others to be and what I what I desire for others to uh, accomplish in their lives personally, you know. And so when it comes down to who who we are, like we have to figure out who we want to be without the things that we do, you know. And I think that's very important because you, know, you go to so many people and they'll be like, well, who are you? And like, typically people are like, well, I'm a wrestler. And it's just like, okay, who are you without that? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I haven't thought about that. I just kind of thought, well, 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 who are you? Well, I'm this faith, you know, or I'm this. Well, what are you without that? Well, most, a lot of people say nothing, but, uh, you know, but like, you know, it's just like, well, like what in the, in, in the end of the day with just your name and your date of birth, what, what, what are you, who are you as a person? What are you trying to be? You know? And I think a lot of people haven't stepped back to really answer that. They just fill it with something else that they're good at or that they've, that they do. And like, that's just not the way it works. Um, and in fact, that puts you in a trap. And I think that's why a lot of people um, with this pandemic struggled when things started going into quarantine. It wasn't just because we were all kind of being maybe less social than usual, but it was because the things that we use as a source of identity were no longer accessible to us. And so we couldn't figure out how to overcome that because we never figured out who we were before this moment started. And so a lot of people either figured out who they were or just suffered through it. And so... You know, and I think that was a huge thing. That is incredibly insightful. You may be a philosopher in chapter two. <laughs> I think I'm going to write down and put on my wall, who are we without the things that we do? It's just such a reminder of the labels that we try to collect and put up on our walls to bolster our sense of who we are. So I have, I have two last questions for you. And one is a little bit of a segue, again, from this just, of how much you're thinking outside of yourself and wanting to contribute. And I know that you've decided to get involved and be an ally for women's wrestling. And I think that's incredible. Uh, a lot of the exposure is on the men's side. And so to lift up women's accomplishments in the field of wrestling is 
is absolutely huge for you to champion. And, and when did you first decide to get involved with this? And why do you think it's important for you to be a part of? Well, Sally Roberts, uh, who's head of Wrestle Like a Girl, um, approached me, I believe it was 2021, so like three, four years ago, um, about, you know, being um, on the advisory council for Wrestle Like a Girl. And it was something that, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I, w- I want to say like I always had like, the mindset out to do it. I just never had the, the platform or avenue to do so. Um, and so, you know, and then I think on top of that, I, I hadn't really uh, had relationships with many um, female wrestlers. Um, and so coming to the OTC, it's almost kind of like it was fated to be because coming to the OTC, everyone that trained at the, I'm the only male, like senior level athlete for wrestling at the OTC. And other, I would say maybe like eight or 10 athletes are women. And so getting to form relationships with these women and and hear about their experiences as far as, you know, things they've gone through um, and even watching them train, you know, when you're around people and you're building these relationships and, you know, especially like when we're grinding, like we're we're going to dark places, you know, we're going together. You know, and so you, you start to be like, oh, I really care for this person and I want you to have what's best, you know. And so when Sally approached me and um, and was just like, you know, put this position right in front, I didn't even really hesitate. I was like, yeah, like I'm 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 here to, to help. I want to see women's wrestling grow. Um, and I want to, you know, and I want to see these these great strong women, you know, prosper and show the world what they're capable of. And we've done that for the first time ever, just in 2019, first time ever, three women were world champs for, for our team USA, you know. Also, for the first time ever, ever, all six weights at the Olympics are qualified for women's wrestling. Like, it's amazing. And it's growing so much. But I think of it also like, and this is like more of the selfish side of it, I guess. But I also think of it like, in the, in the, in the future, I hope to have children, you know. And if I'm ever blessed to have a daughter, I want my daughter to have people to look up to who I know who are, who are amazing, smart, strong, beautiful women that she can rely on, um, you know, outside of her mother, you know? So I want, I want to be able to fill the world with these amazing women who like are, are strong and are capable of doing amazing things and have done amazing things. And, you know, and it's been amazing just to get to know them. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm honored. You know, I'm, I'm in the room every day with a five-time world champ. The only five-time world champion in the U S of a is a woman, Adeline Gray, like, like you don't think that we can learn things from her and and and, uh, and pick things up. Like the friendships and bonds I've had as far as you know these battles um, that I've gone through um, with them and for them um, has been amazing. Now I think also in my life and taking up the rain and taking up some reins as far as you know fighting for you know women's um, equality and wrestling and and their pursuits toward their goals. It's really shown me even more so the people that I do and do not want in my life. Um, or I wouldn't say in my life, but that we can't, that are holding people back or, or uh, you know, pushing people up, you know? So I've seen, I've seen that and it's kind of made it so it's like, I know where people stand with certain issues and I know that it's, it's not okay. And, in certain situations. And those are the people that, uh, you know, I had to make sure to, to talk to 
um, within my circle and basically be like, hey, like this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm for. Now, you don't have to like it, right? Um, you don't have to. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm fine with you not liking it. And if you don't like it, like I, I think there's a problem with that, but that's fine, right? But what you won't do is disrespect it because no one else is disrespecting you. And, and so I think that's kind of where I came off of as far as my circle. My circle is very open. Um, I'm fine with you coming in, but at the moment the disrespect comes into play, um, you, you will be removed. Uh, and I don't need a security guard. I'm quite equipped myself to do it. <laughs> so, um, but I think that really showed me, you know, I got to look at the wrestling world in a different perspective. Like I said, I want to be someone who can look and walk across the bridge and look at a different uh, viewpoint. And these, these, uh, you know, women showed me how things really were and made me really see a different perspective than the one that I was just sitting in on my own. Cause I, and a lot of things I was just, I didn't know. I was so like things I learned, I didn't know. I was confused. I was like, why is it like that? You know, I didn't think it was like that. And so I just got educated. And once I got educated, it was just like a no brainer. Like we have to step in and make changes. Well, women's wrestling is certainly lucky to have you as a champion and think the world could use more more male role models like you to champion women. So thank you for that. And that brings me to my last question, something I'm sure you'll have a fantastic answer for, a question that I close with all my guests, and that is, what is your Olympic or Paralympic moment in life, something outside of the world of sports? There's one thing that I do, um, and I do it pretty often. I go up to the mountains. I have this specific spot. It's my spot. I haven't put my name on it yet, but I'm working on it. Um, and it's kind of, it's really easy to get to, but like I sit up there and I look out and I see this range. And I don't know, when I look out and I see the mountains and the sky and the, and the clouds and everything, like I, for me, like I don't know why, but like it makes me think of like I, there has to be there has to be a god, there has to be something like the beauty of it. I'm a mountain person, man. I love I love mountains, but like every time I look at them or I'm, or I'm in them and I go to this spot and I can just see everything, you know, it like nothing else matters, you know, like not the the, the you know not the town I just drove thirty minutes away from, not you know problems, nothing. Everything just goes away. And so, like, I don't know if that counts as an Olympic moment, but I just know that in that time that I spend there, because I'll spend hours there, like, it's it's just that moment. And so maybe maybe when I get married or, or, or have children, I, it'll replace it, you know, so. That's a great moment. I've also recently discovered I'm a mountain person, and there is nothing like that majesty and that stillness to remind you of how small you are and how incredible nature is. So I, I, that resonates with me completely. And I think that is a wonderful Olympic moment. Awesome. Sweet. It counts. Yes, it it counts. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I think this was such a phenomenal interview and there's just so much there that you, we can go so deep in so many dimensions. And I, I really love that when when athletes have really taken the time to go beyond their sport to get to know themselves and to be something greater. And I think people will take a lot away from this. So good luck to you. And again, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. 
Uh, definitely. Thank you very, very much for having me. I do want to leave with this, and this is for athletes, though. You know, um, with especially athletes who are maybe struggling with something and going on. And this is just from my personal experience. You know, whenever I was going through the things I was going through, um, especially in college, the, there was nothing wrong with the athlete. I always performed well. I always did really great things. We've seen this uh, countless times, even from, you know, the atrocities that happened with gymnasts, with gymnastics and everything. We've seen it countless times. They all performed really well. The athlete was not an issue, you know, but there were still problems with people. And so, like, don't use your athletics as a measuring tool to see how well you are or how well off you are or what you're doing. Um, Pay attention to the person you are and what you're feeling in that moment. Um, You know, as an individual, as a human being, not as an athlete. I've won national titles and yet I've been, you know, in the worst predicaments ever as far as, you know, mental health and, and, and what I was doing away from the sport. So um, pay attention to that as who you are. Don't use, your, don't use your accomplishments as a measuring tool. I think that's a, an important message and I think that will really resonate. So thank you for that. Yeah, but thank you for having me. Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.